Let's turn to Psalm 119 in God's Word tonight. We are looking at the longest single chapter in the Bible. Psalm 117 is the shortest psalm in the Bible, only two verses long. A lot of people think that Psalm 118, verse 8, is the middle verses of the Bible. But I did a little research today, and according to an independent research, the King James Version of the Holy Bible contains 1,189 chapters, not verses. I'll get the verses later, but just chapters. 595 in Psalm 117 is uh, 595th. There are 594 chapters before Psalm 117, and after that, that's it. It's 117, not 118. That is the center of the Bible. Now, the King James Version, as far as verses go, there are 31,102, and thus does not have a single middle verse. The middle verse would be Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, uh, with 15,550 verses before and after. So for those that like to have trivial questions about these things, there it is. Psalm 103, this is what David says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, and blessed be the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. That is the middle verses but the middle chapter would be Psalm 117. Let's go back to it and read it. The shortest uh, psalm in the Bible. O praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So that is the center chapter of the Bible. Now, Psalm 119 is, is unique, and I'll lay out, lay out uh, why it's unique. First of all, we call it an acrostic um, psalm. And basically, what we have is um, every verse except two of the 176 verses is going to make a reference to the book that you're holding in your hands tonight. Okay, let me say that again. Of the 176 verses in Psalm 119, all but two are going to make some reference to the book you're holding in your hand. It'll use different words. There's 10 different ways of describing the book in Psalm 119, and I'll go through them. Sometimes, if, uh, it's, if David is the writer of Psalm 119, he'll use the word, the word, or your sayings, your ways, your testimonies, your judgments, your precepts, your commandments, your laws, your, stat- your statutes, and your faithfulness. But they're all in reference to one thing, and that's this book. They just use ten different words to describe it. Now, we know that all the Bible is inspired by God. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? But this is carefully thought out and inspired at the same time. Because what we have in the Hebrew language, their ABCs, um, they have 22 of them, okay? And so what we have is um, the format of Psalm 119 is an alphabet, what we call an alphabet acrostic, meaning that the first letter of each line in the Hebrew following um, the, the next eight verses. So if you look at verses one through eight, it's going to begin with the Hebrew word aleph, A L. E-P-H. And that word blessed there, that means happy. Um, this is the way they would teach their children. And so verse 1 would be the first letter of the alphabet, and then you'd have eight verses. If you get to, to verse 8, how can a young man cleanse his ways? The first letter there is uh, Beth, B-E-T-H. And then you'll have eight verses um, under that letter. And all the way through, so when you have uh, 8 times 22 letters, then that comes to 176 lines. So 8 times 22, and that's how you get the 
76 verses that you have in Psalm 119. Very well thought out. It's considered poetry in Hebrew, even though it doesn't rhyme. It's their own form of poetry, but also an excellent uh, witnessing tool tool for a kid, you know, uh, C-spot run. You, you have to learn your ABCs, and you take your kids methodically through their ABCs so they can learn to read. Well, this would have been a teaching tool um, in any Hebrew home as they would learn their ABCs, all 22 of them, but using eight verses, and then they would go to RB, which would be beginning in verse 8. Is everybody sort of following the train of thought here? Psalm 119 is different. It, it, it's called an acrostic um, psalm, and it is the longest one. And there eight verses are given to all 22 letters in uh, the Hebrew alphabet. So let's dive right in. I'm going to try to get halfway through this tonight, which means we have to get through 88 verses, and that's exactly 11 chapters. Some thinks that that would take a miracle, but I believe in miracles, and so we'll see if we can pull that off or not. Verse 1, happy, blessed are the undefiled in the way and who walk in the law of the Lord, and blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Now here's the first reference to the law in verse 1 as the word of God. Verse 2 would be testimonies. Who seek him with their whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes then I would not be ashamed. When I look into all of your commandments, I will praise you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. And so you can see in these first eight verses here, there's a reference to God's word. And as I thought about it today, I thought, well, how should I present this? and and making some progress, but not cutting it short by just reading it and leaving it at that. So what I felt led to do was to look at maybe just one of the the eight verses and go back to it and maybe dwell on that for a little bit and bring uh, some light out of it. So in this one, I chose verse two, where it talks about who seek him with the whole heart. Now we're going to begin the study tonight talking about the importance of love and um, what we call matters of the heart. And this, this was the area that bothered Jesus the most with the scribes and the Pharisees because they went by the letter of the law. But he would tell them, uh, they knew that, but their heart was far from me. You, you might know the scriptures, you might be able to quote the scriptures, but if it's, again, if it's not a matter of the heart, Paul said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me to do what I do. I hope you guys are here tonight simply because you love the Lord and you love this book. Somebody want to say amen to that? We're here because we love the Lord and we love to study this book. And uh, deeper than that, it, it's, uh, we're, call, we're called the bride of Christ for a reason. He doesn't want a legalistic relationship with you under the law. He wants... Um, a love relationship with you that uh, we talked a little bit about on Sunday when we referred to John and the Lord coming together. Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me, Peter? And we're talking about uh, the love of God um, as described in that definition. And Peter referred with a different Greek word. Remember, we called it phileo which wasn't quite to that level, a fondness, a friendship, but not agape. The other Greek word for love is eros, and that is more um, the the sensual or the sexual relationship uh, between a a man and his wife. And so we have uh, three Greek words, what we would call, uh, we just have one. (laughs) I can love my wife, but I can love my 66 Chevy Impala ragtop at the same time. And uh, you can get confused between the two. <laughs> or, or I love banana splits. You've got you to have a word for that. <laughs> and so um, there's a different love that I have for my brother Rudy down here. 
Um, that's a phileo. He's my bro, and he's a brother in the Lord. But it's, but it's different than you would have with uh, love for your wife. Or, well, we'll just leave it at that. What we're looking at here is with your whole heart. It's a matter of the heart with the Lord. For those who seek him with their whole heart and not being half-hearted about it, the Lord says, I want you hot or cold. None of this in-between stuff. Either your love is hot for me or your love is cold and please don't let it be in the middle. Nothing more nauseous than, than uh, lukewarm, lukewarm water. All right, so we got up through the first one. The second one in verses uh, 9 through 8 through 16, or 9 through 16. Well, how can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word, and with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And blessed are you, O Lord, and teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the ways of your testimonies. As much as in your riches, I meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. Here I pulled out verse 15, and the idea of meditating on your precepts. Now, in the Psalms, whenever David would write something and he would want you to think about it, he didn't want you to move on right away, he would use the word selah. When that means just stop for a second, think about what you just read and meditate upon it and let it sink in. Don't let it just go over your head. One of my points on Sunday is Jesus was talking to the disciples about going to go to Jerusalem, going to be betrayed, I'm going to be uh, scourged, um, I'm going to be put to death, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. And there was no Selah moment for the disciples because it went right over their heads. Remember, they started right afterwards arguing who was going to be seated with them in the kingdom. They weren't, it wasn't a Selah moment for the disciples. When we talk about meditation, all right, um, two stories I'll, I'll tell. First of all, uh, I grew up in Oshkosh, um, lived on campus with, with a bunch of guys, and one of the guys in the house was actually the transcendental meditation leader uh, for um, the university there in Oshkosh. And um, I picked his brain a lot about how he gave people their matras. Now, this is Eastern thought, uh, greatly influenced by the Beatles going to India, bringing it to the States, and it, and it swept across the country. Basically, in, in transcendental meditation, you're given a mantra. Uh, everyone is supposed to have one that's different, but I found out through the guy that I lived with in the house, basically there's only eight. And basically what they are is names of Hindu deities. In other words, demons, if you'd get right down to it. The idea is you uh, go to a state where you clearly empty your mind of everything and then meditate on nothing. Now that should be funny if you think about it. (laughs) You empty your mind of everything and meditate on nothing except, you know, the one that's made famous by the Moody Blues is Om. And uh, that's what you meditate on. Well, just think about it for a second. Uh, First of all, anybody who's been in the New Age is clearly going to warn you about yoga. And part of the principles of yoga, whether they realize it or not, um, is this emptying of, of consciousness so that you're opening yourself up to, and then you're chanting, actually, the name of a Hindu demon. They'll call him a god, but to you... It's explained to you in such a way that it's just a matter of uh, self-relaxation. You've had a stressful day. You need to do some meditation. Chill. Open up and just let your mind be empty. And and then just chant on this demon. In other words, you're actually opening yourself up to demon possession, whether they know it or not. 
Now, I'll tell you my personal story of watching two million people do this at one time. We live in America. Uh, We've been known for years as being a Christian Judean nation up till this last couple years, right? And, um, but that's not where most of the world is at today. For many years, I was in India on a yearly basis helping GFA develop their Bible colleges. Well, one year, um, I was in the state of Kanataka. Um, the city was called Mangalore, but the biggest city in Kanataka is Bangalore. It's one of the fifth largest cities in the world. And I woke up one morning and um, opened up my paper, and it says um, two million people meeting from around the world with 150 dignitaries from every nation in the world meeting in Bangalore. Well, that was happening on the weekend. I was teaching in Mangalore on the coast, and I asked the guy, I said, is there any way that I could get to this thing that's in Bangalore? Well, the regional leader, his name was John, and he says, that's great, Dwight. 60 bucks and you can get it on a plane fly into Bangalore, and we'll take you to this thing, and then you can teach at uh, our um, uh, uh, Gospel for Asia, what they call a believer's church. They got a dove over the, the door, and you can, you can uh, check it out. They had everybody from Bill Clinton to Prince Charles to leading dignitaries, 150 people from around the world are gonna be at this place. Now, some of you have heard this story before. How do you, we know what Lambeau Field holds, roughly what, 80,000, somewhere around there, maybe no more with the new addition? Imagine two million. How, how do you accommodate two million people? Well, this is how they did it. They, they uh, had large screens. First of all, the stage itself um, held 5,000 people. And they had some of the leading musicians uh, in, in the world that were, were there, but they also had 5,000 musicians. The keynote speaker is the, a guy named Ravi Shankar. Now, for all you old Beatle fans, I'm not talking about the sitar player. I'm talking about, at that time, the number one guru in India. He has a high, squeaky voice. He's got a beard down to here, and he sat on a throne, and he had a long white robe on. And one after one that evening... I heard world leaders get up and say, unless we can become one, unless we can have a one-world religion, unless we can have a one-world government, we will destroy ourselves. And that's what the message pretty much. So what's the solution? To be of one heart and one mind. So at the end, by the way, you can Google this. You can Google uh, Ravi Shankar, 25th year's celebration of light. And you can still see the footage, and it'll tell the whole story. And if you look really close, you'll see me doing this. I'll be waving at you. And um, I was able to sneak in and actually get close enough. I went in with a Swedish delegation. They had tags on. It cost 75 bucks to sit up front. I just walked in with them. Didn't pay the 75 bucks. I confess that sin now. Now it's over with. I snuck in for free. Anyway, the end of the evening, as it was closing up, was 2,000 people given the same mantra, and that reverberated, and that was to bring the consciousness and the awareness that we can be one if we simply have the mindset to be that. All right, all that to say this. That's what we're up against, and that's not what the Bible's talking about here in verse 15. When it says, I will meditate upon your precepts, now we have the exact opposite of what of transcendental meditation would have. They will say, empty your mind and put nothing in it. But the Lord is saying, no, I want you to do just the opposite. I want you to take the most powerful force in the, in the universe, my word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not this book. And I want, to, I want you to put that in your head, and I want you to think on it, and I want you to meditate upon it, and I want you to, the Holy Spirit will bring words back to remembrance if you allow God's spirit to just be there until your heart's wrapped itself around it and it's become a part of your being. And you can call upon it and the Lord will bring it out at any given time. 
folks, we're talking two very, very big extremes here. Are you with me? One is nothing and admits it and wants you to meditate upon it and open yourself up to the occult. But on the other hand, we have the word of God that we're clearly told to take Salah moments <laughs> and uh, allow that to go, wow, that's heavy. I'm going to just sit on that for a while, Lord. Never saw that before. And that's what, that's what this means. I will contemplate. I will meditate upon what? Upon something that will never fade away. Heaven and earth is going to fade away, but not this book. And so he says, fill your mind with it as much as you can, and that's the proper use of the term uh, of meditating. Look out for the enemy's counterfeits. You want to hear oxymoron? Christian yoga. That is an oxymoron, Okay like jumbo shrimp, military intelligence, whatever you want to put in there. That's an oxymoron. There's no such thing as Christian yoga, and um, it's just another one of the devil's tricks to try to get into the church. <clears throat> All right, if I take that long in everyone, we definitely will not get through. Verse, uh, the third Hebrew letter begins, uh, it's called Gamel, G-I-M-E-L, in chapter, verse 17, and it says, I deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may see wondrous things from your law. I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments <clears throat> at all time. You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counsel. For this one, um, I want to go back to um, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Nothing excites me more as you're teaching through the Bible systematically, week after week, month after month, year after year. Certain patterns begin to develop. And it's, it's sort of like everything comes into a clear focus. And there is a connecting of the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's where we get the saying, for every New Testament teaching, we have an Old Testament picture. And when you just stumble across it, you go, I never saw that before. But it's clearly a picture of, uh, of the Lord revealing something that you never saw before. And what turns me on is I've read a lot of commentaries, and um, so I get other feedback. So somebody, what I like to find is something that I've never read in a commentary before, but yet I have no doubt about the Holy Spirit showing me a golden nugget, a treasure. Wondrous things from your life. Show me something wonderful, Lord. We call them nuggets. And um, I'll just give, try to think of one. Um, when they got to the waters of Mara, the, the water there was bitter. People were thirsty. They were wandering in the wilderness. And um, uh, Moses prayed about it. Well, now what do I do? He says, well, Moses, what I want you to do is uh, go over there and take that tree and just throw it in water, and it'll be made sweet. So you have sweet, you have bitter waters being made sweet because a piece of wood was added to it. Now, how long do you have to think on that one before you get it, right? You add the cross to whatever you're going through, your bitter experience. And because of the cross, it can actually take a bitter situation and make it sweet. Now, the Bible doesn't tell you in the Old Testament, oh yeah, by the way, that cross, someday the Messiah is going to come, he's going to die on a cross, and this is really a hint of that. Well, it is a hint to that. The cross, adding the cross to the bitterness, makes it drinkable and makes it sweet. And I could go on and on and on, and people are going to enjoy it. I'm sure you could go on and on and on. But wondrous things that you've never seen before. It reminds me of um, the woman who had these deep things deep down inside of her. It was the woman at the well. She had tried everything, married 
five times, divorced five times, living with a guy. And um, the Lord drew her out. And when he got her attention, then she started asking the things that were deep down inside. And he was able to draw them, draw them out of her. Well, everybody, no exceptions. You have things that, that are deep, and um, the only real answers that you're going to get are from here, and uh, they will satisfy your soul. And there are answers you've always wondered about. What about this, or what about that? What about this situation here? Well, eventually God's word is, is going to address it and speak to it. All we have to do is be faithful to continue in it and apply it practically. So this one here, there's nothing I enjoy more than that. I enjoy divine appointments, knowing that I'm doing my average everyday routine, and all of a sudden I'm in the middle of a divine appointment, and I know it all too well. I like those moments, because I know the Lord is at work, and I love, I love to be a part of it. The next one, uh, the next verses 25 through 32, is the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes and make me understand the way of your precepts. And so I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. O oh Lord, do not put me to, excuse me, to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Well, I'll tell you what I, I pulled out of this one, and that is I like the honesty of verse 28. And I want you guys to think on this one. My soul melts from heaviness. The writer and all the things that he's talking about is talking in this particular verse of, of the reality of the Christian life and moments when your soul is gonna melt with heaviness. Prayed with people this week. I had no words for them except I'll say I'll pray for you. And um, I told this particular person I was praying for, I just want you to know what's happening is normal, and it's okay. The Bible talks a lot about it. Where? Oh, right here in uh, verse 28. My soul melts with heaviness. What does that mean? That means if you're going to be walking this narrow path, there's going to be times that you are discouraged. Um, Jesus was known as a man of what? Sorrows. And um, uh, De- uh, Solomon said, with, with much knowledge comes much grief. Sometimes the more you know, um, the harder it is. All that to say this, if you're going through a, a hard, depressing time, know that it's biblical. Hard time to say amen, but it's a good time to say it. Amen. amen. You are going to go through hard times, and we're told, don't think it's strange when you go through the fiery trial as though some strange thing has happened to you. Hey, I'm a Christian. This shouldn't be happening to me. And, um, and yet, it is happening to you. And uh, our, our conference this year, it's about the life of Joseph. I stole the title from Gene Getz, who wrote a commentary on it, called From the Pit to the Pinnacle. Betrayed by his own brothers, accused falsely of rape, thrown in jail, I mean, it's just one thing after another that was bad. And uh, ends up in jail, spends a couple years there. What he didn't know that it was all God's plan to, to save his entire family that would become the nation of Israel. But he had to go through that. Times when, uh, what, what would it feel like when every one of your brothers wants you dead? You know, tell me that's not a trial. Threw him in a pit. And... Um, so I picked out this one. I want you to know it's okay to be depressed sometimes if, if something heavy is happening in your life. This guy wrote it down here. My soul melts for heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. 
when Jesus was in Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means crushing. Uh, he asked the guys to pray for him. They fell asleep on him. <laughs> so the Lord sent a couple of angels to what? To strengthen him. If the Lord has to be strengthened, how much more you and me, okay? Have I made the point that it's okay to have a tough day and to know that it's biblical and, um, and uh, asking the Lord to strengthen you because of, of uh, the, um, the heaviness that you're going through? The next one, verses 33 through 40, the next Hebrew letter, <clears throat> It's actually pronounced he, H-E. Teach me, have I missed one here? No, that's it. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness." When we started the first Pilgrim's Cafe, <clears throat> 1980, um, we went from 81 to 83. Uh, we created um, a little book. We called it Cross Country. And in it was a list of all the Christian musicians in the Midwest. And every um, weekend, we would bring in these musicians, and we got to know them pretty well. Um, somebody gave me an album by Chris Christensen, and uh, he wrote a song around verse 37, and I had the worship team sing it here tonight. Verse 37 is a prayer that says, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. The idea in front of it, and, and not to be covetousness. And so... Chris and Laura wrote this song that they sang tonight. I'm going to read the words again. Turn my eyes from worldly wealth to see my poverty. Turn my ears from sounds of self to your tranquility. Turn my heart from foolish pride, my weakness to confess. And turn my feet from dead-end streets to deeds of righteousness. Isn't that a great song? And they get it, they, they took the song and wrote it because of this verse right here, turn my eyes, turn it away from the things that, are, that aren't really that important, that I would covet, and, uh, and revive me again, Lord, to things that are gonna count for something, to deeds of righteousness. Turn me away from that because it's only pleading for a moment, and Lord, put it on you. And so I, I had to comment on that verse because it's personal to me. And um, I think they're on a mission field in Europe, the last I heard, Tim and Laura. All right, the next one, verses 41 through 48. Let's look at verse 41. This is uh, the, the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your word. And so shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me. For I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. And so shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. I will walk at liberty. For I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings, and I won't be ashamed. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up your commandments, which I love, and I meditate on your statutes. Now, uh, in this one here, 
I'm going back to verse 42. Lord, I want to know your word so that I can have an answer to him who reproaches me. We're told that um, to give every man an answer for the hope that we have in us. Why are you a Christian? Got an answer for that one? Why is um, the Middle East in turmoil today? Are you able to sit them down and say, look, let me explain Ezekiel 38 to you right now. And what's happening is the pieces of a big jigsaw puzzle are coming together. And uh, what's about to unfold is a war that we call the Ezekiel 38 war. And what Mary did on Sunday with the time that we gave her was to show you how Iran, a clever title, The Empire Strikes Back, pretty catchy, don't you think? And uh, what she was able to do is explain these proxy wars of taking over what's happening in Yemen, Damascus, Lebanon, and uh, showing how eventually, it's talked about every day in the news, and what's really going on is Russia and Iran are going to be the ones leading this attack against Israel. So in verse 42 where it says, so I will have an answer to him who reproaches me. Can you biblically explain to your friends what's happening in the world today? Do you know your Bible well enough to say, well, this is happening because, and uh, be able to explain it to them so you have their, you ha- all of a sudden you have their attention. You're talking current events, but not from CNN's perspective or Fox News, but from this book. And just say, by the way, there's, there's nothing that's going to stop this from happening. There is no peace process. And it's like Dylan said, there will be no peace until he returns. And so I'm not shocked by what's happening in the Middle East. I'm not happy when I hear what's happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ. As the enemy has singled out Christians all of a sudden, once again, they're being martyred. And they haven't been like that since the days of... Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's coming full circle. But my point here is, do you know the real thing well enough to be able to give an answer about what's what's going on, not just prophetically, but about the hope that you have within you? Oh, Jesus is just a crutch. He's not just a crutch, man. He's a whole hospital for me. He's a, (laughs) I need more than a crutch. He's my wheelchair. I mean, he's what gets me around. And when you're that honest with a person, that's saying, look, this wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for the Lord in my life. And uh, if there's any soundness at all, or if any good that comes out of me, I know that every good and perfect gift comes from him. Because the Bible clearly teaches about what I am. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? There's unrighteous, nothing good here at all. Zip, not a, nothing. So if you see any good coming out of here, that's why we say praise the Lord because all the good stuff comes from there. So the reason we say praise the Lord is because he's the only one who should get the credit for it. Amen? Amen. So, um, how c- it's, it's a hypothetical question. How can you give that answer unless you know this book inside and out? Know it so well that um, uh, y- you can articulate uh, in an intelligent way, in a simple way, in a humble way, Truth. And um, so that's the part that I pulled out of here. The importance of knowing this book so that we can explain current events, but more importantly, um, um, our need for a Savior. All right. Brings us to the next, next one, verse 49 uh, through 56. Remember the word to your servant, upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. The proud have me in great derision. Yet I did not turn away from your law. I remember your judgments of old, O Lord, and and have comforted myself. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become 
mine because I have kept your precepts. Now in this one, I want to go back to verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction. The Bible, this book, has, when you're going through a difficult time and you have no answers for why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? What we have here is God's word. Again, you, every once in a while, you just want to roam, turn to the book of Romans, turn to chapter 8, and read verse 28 out loud. So I'm going to do that right now. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. What is it you're going through? And do you know and realize that somehow, some way, God's going to manipulate the circumstances so that in the end, it's going to work out for good for you? Question, do you believe that? If you believe that, then you are comforted in the current affliction that you are currently involved in because even though you feel one way, you have to stand upon God's word that says, no, this is actually working out for your good. Let me use Paul as the example. Paul says, Lord, I got this thorn in the side here. It's driving me crazy, and I want it out. No answer. Second time, Lord, please deliver me from this thorn that I have in my flesh. No answer. Third time, Lord, I got a thorn in the flesh. Will you please deliver me from it? Answer, no. Oh, all of a sudden God's talking. Great. The answer is no. Wonderful. That's all I need to know. No, Paul, I'm going to let this one stay, this affliction. This messenger of Satan, I've allowed this to come into your life because of the abundance of revelation that you've received. What does that mean? Well, Paul got to go to heaven. Do you guys know that? Uh, he, he could have wrote a book, To Heaven and Back, 1995. You can get it at the local Christian bookstore. He could have wrote the book, but he didn't. Instead, to keep him humble because of what he saw, the Lord says, no, I'm going to keep you in a humble place, Paul, because in your weakness is my strength. I can use a vessel that's broken, but I can't use a vessel that's full of itself. And you could get pretty puffed up, Paul. So I'm going to allow this to remain. What does he say? He doesn't go away bummed out or sad. He says, therefore, I'm going to rejoice in my affliction that um, the Lord will be strong on, on my behalf. All he needed was an answer. And uh, when the Lord gave him the answer, good enough. And he was, he was content with it. So, Second uh, Corinthians 9, 8 says pretty much the same thing. <clears throat> and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance of every good work. And the Lord is just saying there he's going to comfort and work, and work it good into your life. All right, 57 through 64, the next Hebrew letter is Heth, H-E-T-H. <clears throat> and um, it says, Lord, you are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart and be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and I turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy, so teach me your statutes. Let's go back to verse 58. It says, be merciful to me according to your word. So the whole idea of, of um, getting mercy from the Lord and not justice. Um, you've often heard the expression, Lord, I don't want justice. If I, if I got what was coming to me, I'm in big trouble. 
Somebody want to say amen to that? If I got justice, I would be in big trouble. Um, the big news today, of course, is the, uh, uh, the Boston bomber. And they just came up with a, a judgment that he's guilty. On Monday, they're going to decide whether our law is going to merit out a death sentence on this guy or he's going to spend the rest of his life um, in jail. Either way, he's taken out of the picture. And I've even heard one of the family members who lost somebody say, well, justice was served today. He's at least guilty. He's not going to get off. He's either going to be put to death with the death penalty or he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. Justice will be served. Well, when it comes to my eternal soul, um, I don't want justice. I want mercy. So let me tell you the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. That's what grace is all about. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. So there's a difference between grace and mercy. And in verse 50, we read the psalmist saying the exact same thing. Uh, he says, uh, it's not 50, it's 58. Be merciful to me, Lord, according to your word. So mercy is not getting what I do deserve. All right, let's go from 65 to 72. This Hebrew letter is teth, T-E-T-H. You have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgments and knowledge, for I believed your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I have kept your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is fat as grease, but I delight in your love. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of shekels of gold and silver. I want to camp on verses 67 and 71. 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept your word. Verse 71, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Well, we don't have to go too far back to remember these verses, because I quoted them on Sunday. Lord, to Jonah. Jonah, got a job, wants you to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites. So Jonah goes to Joppa, gets out of ship, and goes to Tarshish instead. And he was there for three days and three nights. That was our message on Sunday. But then in chapter 3, verse 1, after the three days and three nights, he says he called out to the Lord when he was afflicted. And now, this is an important lesson for us Christians to wrap our head around. First of all, According to Romans chapter 13 or Romans 12, if you're a Christian, a son, then know that you're going to be disciplined in the same way that a father loves his son. In other words, he's not going to let you get away with sin. He's going to take you out to the woodshed and you're going to feel his affliction. If you're being disobedient in an area, he'll find a way to deal with you. And that's the scripture that says, don't be faint hearted when you are corrected by the Lord or afflicted. Who raised up the fish? The Lord raised up the fish. For what purpose? To put Jonah in an environment where he would be broken down, and he says, Uncle, Lord, I give up. Another way of saying it, until I was afflicted, then I went astray. But Lord, when you got my attention, when you were disciplining me, and if you're a Christian and getting away with sin, then you're not a Christian. Did you hear that one? If, if, if you're calling yourself a Christian and getting away with sin, that means you're not a Christian because the Lord says, all those that are mine, I'm gonna chastise and correct. And um, what father uh, growing up wouldn't do the same thing? I remember getting busted by dad. I was, uh, I was thir- 
13, 14 years old. It was the 4th of July. And me and my two buddies, we had a, a, a system set up. We would go to these fireworks stands. And while two of the guys kept the guy busy asking questions about fireworks, one of us was filling our bags with uh, all these uh, fire rockets or fireworks. And I mean, we had, all of us had just a big stash of fireworks. So um, um, I get home and put them underneath my bed, and Mom's cleaning and making the bed the next morning, looks underneath it. What, what are all these? Oh, well, Jamie Strasher's dad gave, gave them to us. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So Mom tells Dad, who had just cut, uh, the next day he's going to cut uh, Mr. Strasher's hair, who was a cop, it's awful nice of you to give my son all those fireworks. What fireworks? Okay, busted big time. Um, those were the days. I probably got it maybe two or three times to the woodshed, but this was one of them. And he says, son, this is, this is going to be one that's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And uh, <laughs> I, don't, I said, I don't believe that for a second. Uh, but he took me to the woodshed. And... Um, didn't steal firecrackers anymore. And uh, I saw a confession you're going to get out of me tonight, gang. The book of Hebrews said, what father is going to let their son turn a blind eye to that? And have it set up in such a way where you're so busted that you said, well, I, you know, it was given to me. Well, I, I just talked to, to him today. You stole these. And so not only did I get busted, but he made sure the other two guys involved, their parents were informed and, um, and uh, they were disciplined also. So that is, um, that, gets me, that gets me in trouble when I tell those stories. And then I wonder, where am I anyway? I remember I'm getting older and I can't get away with that as much as I used to. So we were in verse um, 67 and 71 and the afflictions. Gang, know that if you're a believer... It's a part of it. And again, it's okay. The Lord's, the Lord's going to discipline those that are his. No ifs, ands, and buts about it if you're a Christian. All right, 73 to 80. Um, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me. Because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word and your servant. And let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood. But I'll meditate upon your precepts, let those who fear you turn to me, uh, those who know your testimonies. And let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. Verse 77, what I want to highlight here, is the nature of the God we serve. Let your tender mercies come to me. And here, I want to just talk about a little bit the nature of, <clears throat> of our Lord Jesus Christ as described not only from the Old Testament. Um, he quotes Isaiah 42, verse 3 here, about when the Messiah comes, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. Let me give you Dwight's paraphrase. The Lord won't kick a person when he's down, okay? A bruised reed, he's not going to break it, and a, a smoking flax, he will not quench. And the nature of our Lord is whenever he entered the uh, synagogue, I mean, the Pharisees had, they knew Jesus. They knew exactly what he was going to do. So they set him up. They put a guy in there with a withered hand. Why? Because they knew Jesus would walk through the door and he would look for the one who had the greatest need. That's his nature. And so they were going to try to trap him this way. 
Well, they knew that was his nature. He, he had a tender heart, and all he ever did was going around doing good. And um, that's what the Bible says. Jesus just went around doing good. When he talks about his own nature, uh, especially guys like James and John, who were called sons of thunder for a reason, when they, the gospel wasn't accepted in one of the villages, Lord, how about if we call down fire from heaven like Elijah and toast these guys right now? And the Lord says, guys, you just don't get it. You don't know my nature. You don't know my heart. It's not me. And um, the Lord said, I want you to take my yoke upon you, and I want you to learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. It's another way of saying like in verse 77, Lord, give me your tender mercies. In Luke 1 verse 7, um, through the tender mercies of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Colossians 3.12, therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, put on kindness, be humble in meekness and long-suffering. Why? Because that's the nature of our God. Verse 77 of this one says, let your tender mercies come upon me. This guy knew his God, and he wanted that gentleness. So if the Lord's that way, how much more should we be like him? We're going to make it. The 11th letter in the Hebrew alphabet is Cap, K-A-P-H, 81 through 88. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from seeking your word, saying, when will you comfort me? For I become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? And when will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. And all your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. They almost made an end of me on earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. I told you when we started this evening, um, as we look at these verses here, this 81 to 88 is this longing that he has of, um, of just going home. And, um, you know, I think the Lord is going to allow us just to get so sick of and disgusted with the world. We say, Lord, please, thy kingdom come, and I really mean it. Lord, please, thy kingdom come. How much, how much longer do we have to wait? Um, but in this, um, let, let, let's close by having you turn to the New Testament and go to John chapter 14. I'm just going to read the first three verses. I told you when we started, uh, the first one was the heart of the matter, and that this is to be all about love. God so loved the world. Well, here, Peter had just been told that he was going to deny the Lord. And that's how chapter 13 ends. But chapter 14 is the hope that we have. So in closing tonight, I want to major on the majors and hit the heart of the matter, which is the heart. Here, the Lord says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Dwight, you say you want to go home? Well, here's the promise. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there right now to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Gang, when it's all said and done, and uh, we close our Bibles and call it a night, and we made it through 88 verses and halfway through Psalm 119, it all gets down to just a couple of simple matters. And that is that um, it should create in you more of a desire to be a stranger to pilgrim and know that you were just passing through this planet and um, 
We're, we're pilgrims and strangers here. And while we're here, what the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 13, this is how Paul concludes it. After talking about what we call the love chapter, he says, now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. I mean, when everything is said and done, this is what we have. We have faith, we have hope, and we have love. Good time for an amen. All right, now let me explain. Faith in what? Well, faith speaks of the past. Faith of the finished work that we just celebrated, Jesus dying on the cross on Good Friday and last Sunday, the resurrection. That all my sins were placed upon Jesus. I have faith that that happened. That takes care of my past. And uh, that's why Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind. I can do that. You know how many people are messed up seeing shrinks right now because they're regurgitating their past, bringing up old uh, wounds so that uh, you can pour salt in them. And they never get nowhere. And they can't let go of the past. Well, faith speaks of my past. I have to worry about it. Uh, Take no thought of it. My past is clear. I like the the old song. The the old account has been taken care of. Paid in full. All right, that takes care of the past, but then hope, well, that speaks of the future. And um, in the future, uh, Titus 1, 2, in hope of what? Eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, that my future involves heaven and a place prepared for me. So if my past is taken care of, and my future is taken care of, and I'm not to take thought for tomorrow, because Jesus says that's not going to change the thing. You can worry about tomorrow all you want to, but it's not going to add an inch to your height. So I'm told to forget about my past. I have hope for what's going to happen in the future. i got a place prepared just for me. What that does, if you can let go of the past and you have a hope in the future, well, that frees you up for the here and now to do the only thing that he's really told us to do, and that is to love one another. See, I'm not all hung up about what happened yesterday. I'm not worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. And that brings us to the last thing he says, and that is love. And as we close the night out, I'm just going to read what the New Testament has to say about loving one another. And we'll let it go at that. Okay? I'm a little bit behind me, ahead of behind my time, but what's new with that anyway? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have also loved you. Love one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. But concerning brotherly love, you don't have any need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we had had from the beginning, heard from the beginning, that you, go ahead, say it, love one another. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in your love to one another, as we all do to you. And let us consider one another to stir up love. Finally, be of one mind, having compassion, and love one for another. In 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, 
have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. We made it through 88 verses. What, 11 chapters of Psalm 119. Yeah, I cheated a little bit on the time, so let's stand and we'll close and love one another. Lord, thank you for your word tonight and this wonderful psalm that's so wonderfully laid out and uh, how we can identify with all these things. Lord, we used to sing the old song, Jesus Reduce Us to Love. And through this process of what we talked about tonight with the trials and afflictions and counting it all joy and knowing that we're sons and daughters because you discipline us when we do wrong. You're just bringing us around to your tender mercies to be more like you. So Lord, we thank you for the process. And through it all that we can truly say that we love you first and foremost, but that we also love the brethren. So thank you for your word tonight and bless your people as they go out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.